Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the word. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we are so happy to be gathered in your house this morning. Father, we know that your word simply says where two or three are gathered in your name, you're the mist. That's a promise that you've given us. And so, Lord, uh, we just simply ask, God, if there's anyone in this room, God, where there's been uh, sickness in their home, God, we just simply ask that the healing power, the bomb of Gilead, would begin to flow in their hearts, begin to flow in their bodies, and to begin to heal them in Jesus' name. Father, if there's anyone in this room today that's just weary, that's rain that's tired. Father, we thank you for just uh, supernatural vitamins from heaven today. God, re-energizing us and helping us to uh, be alert, to be aware, and to know what you're doing. Father, we just as your body today ask for your presence to come. Lord, we ask for your anointing to be here. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Father, we pray today, God, that you would come and just settle in our midst. Father, thank you for peace. Lord, thank you for encouragement, but also, Lord, thank you for stirring us up, God, and challenging us to God so we can go deeper to the places that you've called us to be. So in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, this morning we're going to wrap up a three-part series that we've been in for the past few weeks. Uh, it's simply entitled this, Why Did Jesus Die? Why Did Jesus Die? So if you're taking notes, like I said, this is part three. If by chance you've missed uh, the first two parts of the series, we highly encourage you to go listen to it on the podcast. But as I've uh, mentioned several times over the past few weeks, in my opinion, uh, I personally believe if we are ever going to be able to uh, start to understand the gospel and to understand what Jesus accomplished for us through his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, then we need to start by answering the simple yet profound question, why did Jesus die? So to dive off into this, the two most foundational answers to that question, I've said this for two weeks already. I'm going to give you a little bit of different verses, kind of connect to them today. But the Bible simply says this, they chose to die, number one, for our sins. Now, we know this is true because the Bible clearly says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. It's speaking of the purpose of why Jesus came. It says this, and she, talking about Mary, will have a son, and you, Joseph, are to name him Jesus. Now, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. Now, why did they name him that? Let's finish the verse. It says, for he will save his people from their sins. Can somebody say sins? So, gang, listen, Jesus fulfilled the very meaning of his name by voluntarily taking our place on the cross. Like, we can never forget this. That as he hung there with nails in his hands, nails in his feet, that literally God's wrath, that God's judgment against all sin, your sin, my sin, past sin, future sin, literally all of it was poured on Jesus in that moment. In other words, if I can just put it in everyday language, uh, as the perfect sacrifice, man, in that moment, Jesus settled the score between God and mankind once for all. Are you glad about that today? So that means this, that if you and I choose to believe and receive Jesus as our Savior, instead of judgment, 
God gives us mercy, right? Instead of wrath, we get forgiveness, right? That at that moment, we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are declared not guilty. We are made right with God. We're rescued from hell. We receive a place in God's family. And we have a, uh, the privilege of knowing that we have a future in heaven with Him for all of eternity. I think that's really good news. Amen? So, so the point that I want to make is this, is by, uh, by what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, man, He earned the right to fulfill the role of of our Savior. Like nobody else can. He's the only one that died for us. The second reason Jesus chose to die was to establish his lordship in our lives. Can somebody say lordship? Now, we know this is true because of many verses in the Bible, but I want us to look at Philippians chapter 2 today. It says this, says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. As an innocent man, he died a criminal's death. It says in verse 9, Therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. I so love that. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue declare, or every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can somebody say Lord? Lord. Yeah. Now listen, I don't know about you, but every time I read that verse and many other like them, I'm reminded that Jesus didn't die so that I could adopt some easy gospel. So I could live by some easy gospel that says, okay, God, I want your forgiveness and I want your blessings, but I want nothing to do with that lordship because I want to live my life the way I want to live it. That, that's not why Jesus died. You see, the bottom line is, is Jesus died, and when he did, he earned the right uh, through his death to become the Lord of my body and of your body, right? So that means he's the Lord of our eyes, he's the Lord of our ears, the Lord of our mouths, the members of our body. He is Lord, right? Furthermore, he is also Lord, and he's earned the right to be the Lord of our relationships. That means he's, he's the Lord of our marriages. He's the Lord in how we parent our kids. He's the, the Lord of how we interact with our parents. He's the Lord of how we interact with our friends, how we interact with our other relationships, like boss employees, even all the way down to perfect stranger. He is the Lord of those things. We can also add in that under his lordship is he's the Lord over our finances, over our occupation, entertainment, hobbies, decisions, future. Are y'all getting the point? In other words, he is, he is so much the Lord. Guess what? My life is no longer my own. Amen? Listen, at salvation, while I receive sin, like I've said for two weeks, guess what? I received sins, but he got me. That was the exchange that happened. Right? And so we're his possessions, right? And now it's up to us to do our best, what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants it, and when he wants it done. Right? In other words, we're his. Great place to say amen. So listen, when we bring all that together, what we've been getting at for weeks now is that Jesus died to fulfill two really important roles in our life. He died so he could become the Lord and Savior. In fact, uh, you know, to, to quote a verse that we really only read during Christmas time, uh, but, but here's what's so cool to me, is that God didn't send his son and then he'd do all those things that he did and then go, oh, by the way, this is why he died. I love the fact that if you look at the Gospels, you understand from the very first day that Jesus was born, it was declared who he came to be. Amen. So look at Luke 2 with me if you can. I know it's not Christmas. Hang in here. Here we go. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. It says, Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy 
to which will be to all people. To understand, Jesus came for all people. It says in verse 11, it says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior. Can somebody say Savior? Amen. Who is Christ the what? Lord. Amen. So once again, he, here he is. He, he died so he could be uh, firmly settled and actively fulfilling those two roles in our life. And that is this, as Lord and Savior. And so all I'm going to say before we transition, if you're sitting here today and you've never, uh, you've never allowed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, today's a really good day to start. Amen? All right. So I wanted to repeat all that and get that all out there so I could bring us to this point. Because on Monday, uh, after I preached the second part of this series, uh, I received a what I would call a pretty vulnerable and insightful email from an individual in the church. And uh, without trying to put words in their mouth, here's really what I interpret or what I heard them saying as I read the email. And this was a, it was this, that they are 100% confident that Jesus is their Savior, but they are starting to realize from the things that they're hearing that there are certain pieces of their life where they have not surrendered to the Lordship of Christ yet. And I got a good suspicion they're not the only one. Okay? I think we can all relate to that. Now, because of that, uh, they asked me these following questions, and I'm quoting them because I couldn't say any better. But here's the question they asked me. They said, how do we accurately identify and release the pieces we are holding back. How do we identify and how do we release the pieces we're holding back? And then they went on to say, or even a step further, how do we set them down at the feet of Jesus and leave them there and not keep picking them back up again and again? Man, that's great questions. You know, listen, so much so, uh, I think they're so good, I'm going to do my best to try to answer that today, okay? Uh, because more than likely, I've learned this over, you know, 20 plus years of ministry, that if there's one person in the room thinking it, more than likely there's, there's many. Amen? So, so what I want to do for the next few minutes is, is I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best to not give you some patent answer. In other words, I'm not here today to give you some short step, one, two, three, ABC formula. Like, like that's not what I want to do. What I want to do is I want to give you what I believe is the heart of God as far as for answering that question. But everybody, please look here really quick. But, but I want you to know that today's sermon hinges upon something very important. It hinges on your ability to lean into the heart of God, to hear it from that position, and not just hear it as just some man speaking. Okay? So, so you have responsibility in the room to basically pull on heaven, pull on the anointing, and go, Jesus, I need you to talk to me. Amen? And I believe if we do, he will. All right? So listen, as I, as I thought about those questions um, and I prayed, I was reminded of this, and this is why we can't give a formula today, is I was, I was, I was reminded of how uh, each one of us are uniquely, or as the Bible says, fearfully and wonderfully made by God. Right, So it's important for us to know that because of that, God chooses to speak to each one of us and God chooses to move in each one of us in really unique, personal, intimate ways. Which means this, how he may deal with, say, her in this room, he's not going to deal with him in this room. The way he deals with her, he's not going to deal with me. In other words, God deals with every single person and speaks to every person in this room in different ways. That's why uh, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. Right, And so to me, when, I, when I'm reminded of that, it reminds me of why it's so important that we as individuals don't just regurgitate what we hear somebody say in church or on TV or some podcast, but it reminds me of why we need to be sensitive and we need to be led by the Spirit of God. Amen? So, so listen, even though God is faithful to do what he says in, in Psalm 139, uh, even though he says he's faithful to do this, we need to understand he does it in different ways 
with each one of us. Let's read this verse together. David talking, he says, search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So once again, guys, I want us to grab a hold of that even though God's faithful to do this, if we ask him, if we pray, God, search me, he will search us. But we have to understand that he's going to search us, he's going to test us, he's going to lead every one of us, once again, in a very personal way. And the reason I think that's so important for us to understand is because God is so big, he's never going to lower himself down to some formula to follow. And I, and I want us to understand today also that God respects us and loves us so much that he would never lower us down to some heartless robot at the same time, right? So in other words, when we come to God, we're not here like it's, you know, we don't read the Bible like it's some Joanna Gaines or some Martha Stewart recipe that we got to do. If you connect these three scriptures, you'll get this result. But if you want it to spin or taste like this, throw this one in there. All that verse of Proverbs, it's a little salty. It's good. Right? Like, like, that's not the way it works, okay? So, so anyway, so I, I think this. There's another reason why Jesus doesn't do this. It, because if he came down to a formula and that's all we could do, th then basically what's happened is, is he would remove uh, from the equation a, a very important role that he wants to play in our lives. What am I saying? I'm saying that, yes, he's Savior, yes, he's Lord, but there's another role that he wants to play in our lives that we need to grab a hold of if we want to abandon religion, if we want to just grab a hold of him. Amen? And that's this, that I want us to understand that Jesus died not only to be our Lord and Savior, but he also died to be our friend. Please hear me today. He died to be your friend. So when it comes to the question, how do we accurately identify and release the pieces we are holding back? Like how do we set them down at his feet and, and, you know, and not pick them up again and again? I personally believe the answer to those two questions is this, is, is it can only be found in and through a personal, loving, patient, and intimate friendship with Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so hopefully the rest of what I'm going to say today will make sense why we believe that, okay? All right, so I recognize this, that, that most, of in this, most of us in this room, um, we are more comfortable relating to God as our Father uh, as our Lord, as our Master, as our King. We're even, even comfortable uh, saying we're listening to the Holy Spirit because He's our counselor, He's our guide, and our teacher. But, but what I want to ask you today is how often do we think about God being our friend? So just to kind of get the ball rolling so we have some scriptural foundation here, I want to go all the way back to the garden and, and I want to look at this verse in Genesis chapter 3, with the first man, first woman that ever lived. It says, Genesis 3. It says, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That's such an awesome verse to me. Okay, I'm a little Bible nerd, so it's okay. But man, that, that, And they heard the sound of the Lord. Right? They heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They heard him in the wind. That's what it means. So, so listen, why did God decide to take a stroll through the garden, not just on this particular day, but why did he uh, choose, as the Bible suggests, to walk through the garden day after day after day after day? Like, you can bank on it. Three o'clock, sun's there, God's coming. Like, why did that happen? Like, my mind says this. Was God showing up every day to check in with Adam and Eve, make sure they complete their daily chores in the garden that day? 
Like, was he there to see if they finished their, their daily bread devotions? Come on, if you're Baptist, you know what that means, right? Your daily bread devotions, those are important. But, but listen, is, did he show up to say, you know what, guys, I've been noticing uh, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. And yeah, I heard you fight the other day. Uh, you know, that, none of that was happening, right? Like, that's not the reason God was showing up. The reason God was showing up is because in his heart, he had a longing, he had a desire for genuine friendship, That's the heart of God. Amen? So listen, if we fast forward in there to the Bible, we see another example of God desiring friendship with another man. And his name was this. His name was Abraham. James chapter 2 says this. We can find 2 Chronicles. We can find Isaiah. But we're going to read it in James. It says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. If I could maybe point out one thing here, okay, it's simply this, that notice that God, uh, notice that Abraham didn't say this about himself. Hey, everybody, I'm a friend of God. Woo! Like, he he didn't, like, buy the t-shirt and the flag. Like, that wasn't him. Listen, God said that about him. Like, can you imagine the honor there that God would say that about you? Hey, that guy, he's my friend. See, if we fast forward, we find that God had another friend in Exodus 33. I got to hustle. It says, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. To understand, that's why Moses could say, uh, God, uh, okay, I've seen the miracles. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've seen the power. I've seen all these things. But God, I got to see you. I got to see you. And that's why the glory of God came and he saw him. Fast forward again, John eleven eleven. It says, our friend Lazarus, Jesus talking, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. Fast forward again to the most famous verse and last one about friendship with God is this, John 15. I love this, I love this because this isn't an isolated event. This isn't Adam and Eve. This isn't Abraham. This isn't Moses. This isn't Lazarus. This is God talking to all of us. So it would be good if we grabbed a hold of it, yeah? It says this in verse 13. It says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves. Because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Understand the heart of God. He's saying he wants to confide in you. It says, now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. That's amazing. All right. So if you haven't heard anything yet, I know some of y'all are struggling. Stay awake. Um, but, but if you can, uh, lean into what I'm about to say because this is, the, this is the crux of the invitation of what God wants to have with you. Okay? When, when we pull back and we look at all these scriptures from the Old Testament, so we look at what the word friend means in the Hebrew language, and we look at what these scriptures from the New Testament, what the word friend means in the Greek, uh, we simply learn this, that, that when God calls these men his friend, he is talking about a deep love and an affection that they have for one another. Can you imagine that? Like, we always talk about us loving God, but to understand in return, it's like this deep love and affection. In other words, it's like this mutual bond that they have, and that this mutual bond was so strong. What he's saying here in the original language is that they knew and understood each other, that they liked each other, that they spoke openly and freely to each other. In other words, they weren't talking to riddles. It was very straight. They trusted each other. They had shared interests. They wanted to spend time together, and ultimately, they helped each other out. That's the kind of friendship God's talking about. You, you know, a few, few uh, weeks ago, I guess it'll be last weekend, uh, Tommy did a wedding. I did a wedding. And, and what's so amazing is, is, is when you look at this, this word friend, you find this word picture that is best described 
as the type of relationship that a best man at a wedding would have with a groom. That's what it's talking about. So, so listen, I, I've done, officiated a lot of weddings over the years, and, and it's, you know, pretty much a typical thing. The best man has known the, the groom for a really long time, right? Like, like they've been through thick and thin. Uh, they can always count on each other. They're dependable. That, that's the kind of idea that God has here, right? So this word friend, it simply suggests this. I'll say this, and we'll move on. It suggests intimacy, compassion, and a reciprocal relationship between God and the other person. So in light of that, let me give you two verses. I'm going to give you a lot of Bible today. Proverbs 17, 17 says this. Talking about God and also us with God. It says a friend is always loyal. That's awesome to me. Right? Another translation says a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 18, 24, probably my favorite verse about friendship in the entire Bible. It says a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a true loving friend. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. There's a true loving friend who is reliable and sticks closer than a brother. So when we bring all that together, guys, we got to understand that this is the, the idea of friendship that Jesus died for you and I to have with him. That's why he died, right? And, and so he just wants to fulfill that role. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, let me just say this. When, when I take a step back, and once again, I, I have for so many years have been just so used to approach him as father, master, Lord, right? Oh, oh, like, like and, I, and I have to be honest with you, I haven't approached him a lot of times in this way. And I got a feeling I'm not the only one, right? And, and so to sit back and actually think that here's God wanting to be my friend, man, that's a mind-blowing thought, right? But, but here's, what, here's what I want us to hear is this invitation of friendship from the moment Jesus died has been sent out to every one of us. Now, now, we also have to understand, listen, that just because we become a Christian doesn't mean that we're automatically a friend of God. To, to kind of give you an idea. Obviously, when Jesus died, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus died for the whole world. But how many of you guys know the whole world doesn't know him as Savior? Right? So there, there's some contingencies in that. It requires us to bow our knee to the Lord Jesus, right? So, so even as we've been talking the past two weeks, some of y'all have found that, guess what? That here's this idea of the lordship of Christ, and you realize, uh-oh, I, I haven't maybe made him the Lord. Why? Because the contingent of lordship is this word called submission, right? And, and so what I'm trying to say today is, is I think so many people in church, we just automatically, we may not think a lot about it, but we automatically think we're a friend of God because just Jesus died and he said this. That doesn't mean we're his friends. See, there, there, there has to be a, a closeness with God that brings about friendship. You, you know, let, let me say it this way, and this may seem really minute, but, but let's say this. Let, let's say that I went, okay, I, I selected five people in the room that were complete strangers. You don't know each other. You just happen to be in the same building today. And, and we said, okay, we're all leaving, but we're going to leave you here in this room for the next 24 hours. And, and you're not allowed to have your phone. Uh, you, you know, you, you're only allowed to talk. That's one requirement. You got to talk to each other. How many of you guys know if we came back 24 hours later, uh, more than likely they'd be able to tell uh, us about everybody else in the room. Oh, here's her husband. Oh, here's his wife. Here's the kids. They're from here. They're from that. In other words, they'd be able to give some details of life, right? 
Now, if we multiplied that by 48 hours, 72 hours, kept going, right? You get the point. In other words, the closeness and the, uh, just the, the friendship, if you will, is going to grow. And, and I think a lot of times we just automatically assume because God made something available that we automatically have it, and that's not the case. Amen? Amen. All right, so with all that in mind, what I want to do is I want to give us a, I want to give us a handful of ways that I think could be beneficial to us if we want to grow in our friendship with God. And in doing so, my hope is, is that it'll also help us bring some clarity on the questions that we asked earlier of how do we, right, through our relationship with God, accurately identify and release the pieces we're holding back. In other words, the pieces where we're living independent from Him. Okay? And, and I hope it also answers how can we set these things down at Jesus' feet without picking them up again. I hope this answers all of that. So, number one, the first way we can grow in our friendship with God is so simple, is number one, is drawing close to Him. Have y'all found out sometimes that what sounds easy is not always easy? Number one, drawing close to Him. So, let, let me just say this from a biblical perspective. I think sometimes when we read the Bible, we forget uh, where Moses was leading the children of Israel after he delivered them out of Egypt. I think so many people read the Bible and they automatically assume that when God took these people you know, out of bondage and slavery, he was automatically taking them to the promised land. And, and so I think in our heads sometimes we get this idea when we're pulled out of sin, well, God just wants to go ahead and take us over here so we're enjoying all the blessings and forgiveness and all this stuff. But that's not what was happening in the Bible. Watch what the Bible says. God, that, that's not where Moses would lead them. It says this in Exodus 17, 6. God talking. He said, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. Notice he didn't say, let my people go so they can inherit a land full of blessings. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. yeah. See, let me give you another verse, Exodus 19.4. You see the heart of God. He said, I bore you on eagles' wings. He's talking about the Israelites. And I brought you not to a promised land, but I brought you to myself. So listen, why would God want Moses to lead the people to him rather than a promised land? Like, wasn't that the end goal? Listen, I think it's because God knows our human nature. Meaning this, that if God knew that if Moses bypassed him and went straight to the promised land, then more than likely all these people would love the promised land more than they loved him. In other words, they love the blessings more than the blesser, right? And so I just think it's like, man, to understand that God instead in his wisdom said, okay, Moses, I want you to lead them through the desert. And it's there in the desert. I'm going to reveal to them uh, not just the law, but my ways. I'm on, I want them to see how I'm a provider, how I'm a healer. I want them to get to know my character and who I am so they can learn ultimately, yes, how to have a relationship with each other, but also, more importantly, a relationship with me. That's what he was after. See, it's no different than, than when you go to the disciples. What does it say? Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It's always him first. Amen? So, so if we can understand today, like you've heard me mention before in the past, that yes, uh, basically God took them out of Egypt, but in the process to the promised land, he had to get Egypt out of them. Right? And, and so the same thing is happening with us. It's not just, okay, let's bypass all this. No, there's a process that has to happen through friendship that, that causes transformation. Amen? Amen. So if I can say it this way, if we're ever going to be transformed or fully set free, uh, basically then we have to go to the only one who can get the job done. Right? His name's Jesus. All right, so here's the simple takeaway that we need to make the time. Like, so all of us in this room, we realize we, we, we're Americans. We're great at talking about how busy we are. 
right? So, so we have to make time to draw close to God. Because listen, once again, it is impossible to be transformed into the image of Jesus without spending quality time with him. It's impossible, okay? So let me show you a verse. It's one that uh, we only like a piece of, but we'll read it, the whole thing, okay? Sometimes you need, to, you need to get the whole sandwich, all right? So James 4 says this. It says, so humble yourself before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We like that fleeing part. We don't like that humbling part. It's truth. Verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. We like the him coming close, but we, we're, we're slow to our part, right? It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And then he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Now, I think most of us that are in the church, we check out right there because we go, that's not me. The problem is, is James, I think about eight times in this, in this chapter or this, uh, in this book, he said he was writing to the brethren. So he's talking to you. He's talking to me. The brethren and the sistren. He's talking. All right, here we go. It says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. It says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. What's he looking for? He's looking for genuine repentance. Then it says in verse 10, it just circles the wagon. Uh, humble yourself before the Lord. There we are again. And he will lift you up in honor. So here, here's the takeaway that I want to just kind of pull from this. Is first of all, I want us to notice the order of what happened. So often we sit back and we think if God wants to do business with us, he'll come, meet, uh, he'll come meet us. That's not what it says. It says you come close, you draw close, and then God will respond to you. It's a divine pattern. Right? And so, so often because we don't do what the divine pattern says, we gripe, we complain, we get religious, we get our hearts hard, we complain there's no presence of God. Where's the anointing? Where's God's not speaking to me? But we're not doing our part. Preach, preacher. Okay? So, but here's what happens is listen, and, and this is where I, I see this through the transformation process. Because if we can humble ourselves, meaning, God, I don't have it all together, I need you, so I'm drawing close, that when God's glory begins to come and his presence begins to come, guess what happens? The transformation process starts, right? And the closer I get, guess what? My hands and my heart become more clean than what they were, right? The closer I get, the double-mindedness leaves. The closer I get, the independent attitude leaves, right? The closer I get, true, genuine repentance comes in my heart because I begin to recognize, like Isaiah, who am I? I'm a man of, you know, filthy hands and, a, you know, impure heart, got a bad mouth, got all the, God, I need you, right? And so the reason I think it's so important is because we got to understand that we can sit back all day and say we want to be transformed, but you got to be in his presence to be transformed. Jesus is the only one can do it. But what I'm trying to tell you, the good news is, is if you draw near, he'll draw near to you, and it's impossible to be in his presence and not be changed. Amen? So once again, I'm, I hope you hear me today that real transformation and sustained freedom, how do we leave it there? Sustained freedom. How does it happen? Man, that's reserved for those who desire friendship with God. It's reserved for those. The person that grabs it, right, comes back, lays it down, grabs it again. Go, that, that's the kind of person that's just happy with forgiveness. Okay? We need a friend. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so let me kind of give you a biblical example to kind of back up what I'm saying. 
Um, if you can remember back in the Old Testament, uh, I believe it's in Exodus. Um, don't quote me on that. But, but basically God invited uh, his people, Moses and his people, to come up to the mountain to meet with him. Right? To be in his presence. And the people in essence said this. Uh, Moses, um, there's no way we're going up there. <laughs> right? How about this, Moses? We'll wait here. And you go up and you let God talk to you because we're kind of scared to do that. But you go up there and let him talk to you. And, and while we're down here, we'll pray for you. We'll quote scriptures. Right? We'll, we'll encourage you. We'll go, Moses. Right? Like, we'll do that. And, but, but you hear from God and then you come down and you tell us what God says and, and, and then we'll obey. Y'all remember that? And so, so what happens? Moses basically urges them. They don't want to come. Moses goes up by himself. And what happens is, as Moses is there, the glory of God comes so strong that his face begins to shine. In other words, uh, he begins to be transformed to the point that he's now reflecting God's glory. Right? Meanwhile, back at base camp, right, all of those people who refused to draw near, right, they started grumbling and complaining uh, why is it taking Moses so long? It's been two weeks. Don't he know we're waiting, right? They, they started uh, griping so much, then they go to Aaron, kind of Moses' right-hand guy, convinced him to make a golden calf, right, because they want an idol to worship. So they're throwing the earrings or necklace, any gold thing they got. In other words, the blessing that they left with in Israel, now they're using it to make idols, right? There's a sermon in there somewhere. But anyways, but, but so he forms them an, an idol, and ultimately what happens, what's the end game? Don't miss this, please is they started talking about going back to Egypt. They started talking about going back to bondage and slavery. So I think there's a lesson for us to learn here. How do we leave it? How do we leave it, right? How does it stay there? How do we lay things at Jesus' feet and not pick them up again? The secret, guys, is to stay at his feet. That's the secret. That's the best I can do. Okay? All I know is what's changed my life is that position. It's being at his feet. Haven't been coming to church, hearing a sermon. Uh, you know, I appreciate those things. They bring revelation. Uh, it, it's not, you know, great worship nights. It's none of that. Those things are awesome. But guess what? True transformation comes when I'm at his feet. Right? If I can maybe say it to you another way, it's this. It's like if you're finding yourself in a spot that you are laying something down and it's there for two weeks, and then you find, man, I picked it up again. Doggone it. I got it again. What do you do at that point? You don't beat yourself up. You just go back to his feet. And I'm trying to tell you is if you keep returning there long enough, Jesus will finally pry it out of your hands. Right? He will. Okay? And so I just think this for you guys that have been here the past two weeks. Obviously, we've been talking about, you know, sitting on the throne of our lives uh, versus getting on the cross, right? And, and I've just learned for the last 26 years, man, that the best way to get off the throne of my life and quit living independently in myself, trying to be self-sufficient, is this way, that it's really hard to stay on my throne when I'm kneeling in front of his. So the longer I'm there, the more I'm surrendering that. Amen? Amen. All right, so, so once again, the other lesson that's here is notice and notice if we want to uh, keep picking up again, all we have to pull, do is pull the move that Israel moved, refused to draw near. That's how you keep picking it up again, okay? And after a while, what happens is, let me, let me say it to you another way where it's more clear. If I'm sitting on the throne of my life, more than likely I'm thinking I'm in charge, and at least for me personally, I don't know how it is with you, but for me personally, that's when uh, 
the, the, my old nature starts being tempted again. That's when the world starts looking good again, of when I've just went, nah, I'm good. I'm forgiven. Let me sit here for a bit. But what I found, though, the more I'm with Jesus, the, the, you know, really, I mean, here's the honest truth. If you get us in that 21 days of fasting, I, I'm not really that tempted. <laughs> right? I, I'm probably the nicest I ever am. When we're doing that 21 days of fasting, why? Because I'm hanging with Jesus so much, we just get start acting like him. It's a good spot to be. Maybe I should fast more. <laughs> That's the lesson of the day. All right, so here we go. Uh, hopefully I'm not boring you this morning. But I just think this, that, man, if we want to grow in our friendship with God, man, we've got to draw close to him again and again. I wish I could sit here and tell you that there was a shortcut, there was another way, but I want you to know there is no other way. There is no other way. Okay. And so the Bible simply says in James that he's a jealous God and he yearns earnestly for us. He wants to be with us. So we got to take the first step. Um, listen to this quote, if you can, by Andrew Murray, just because it's a goodie. He said this. He said, have you ever thought what a wonderful privilege it is that everyone each day and each hour of the day has the liberty of asking God to meet him in the inner chambers? He says, and to hear what he has to say. Oh, that's amazing. Christ came from heaven to love us and with the love wherewith the Father loved him. He suffered and died to win our hearts for this love. His love can be satisfied with nothing less. In other words, how do we meet him there than a deep personal love on our part? See, it's, it's this. To understand that Jesus said in John 15, he said, There's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. I think Jesus has done that for us. Now it's our turn to return the favor. Amen? Amen. The second way that we can grow in our relationship with God is by fearing him. Listen, there's no doubt that God wants us to enjoy being us he wants us to enjoy being close to him. But but I think that you and I need to realize the one thing that differentiates our relationship with God over anybody else is simply this is that our relationship with God is built off a deep reverence and a holy fear. Like I got great friends in this room, but guess what? I don't have a holy fear towards them. Okay, and the reason is because they're not God. Amen? So listen to what the Bible says. If you don't think friendship and fear go together, look at Psalm 25, verse 14. It says, the friendship of the Lord is for those. It's held back for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. So let, let's think about that for a second because I, wanna, I want us to, uh, man, hopefully somehow put this in real everyday life for us. When, when we begin to look at this from the bigger picture, I think this. It doesn't matter really where we go in the world. Like, it, we can go to any state in the United States. We can go to any country in the world. And listen, we'll never find God manifesting his presence in an atmosphere where he's not revered. It's truth, right? It, listen, listen, God will not come near and he won't dwell in an environment where he is not held in the utmost honor, the utmost esteem, and the utmost respect. He will not come. Right? And so while he desires, yes, to be our friend, you and I still need to understand that our friend is still the king of kings. He's still the Lord of lords. He is still God Almighty, and he deserves our fear and our respect and our honor, nothing less. Amen? Amen? 
So, so listen, I think that's true not only for large gatherings, but it's also true for the individuals. And if we don't think that Jesus is looking to see if we really honor him, if we really fear him, then I think we need to pay, we need to pay attention to Leviticus 10.3. Listen to what God said. He said, I will be treated as holy by those who approach me. Do you understand? So, li- church, listen. That's a requirement if we want to draw near to God. That we have to respect him and honor him and treat him as holy. And he goes on to say this. It says, and before all the people, I will be honored. Now, what's interesting, take a step back. When did Israel learn this lesson? Here's when God said this. These words were spoken right after Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, after they approached God and as, as uh in a very disrespectful, dishonoring way, what they did is, is in their priestly duties, they began to treat the sacrifice and their duties as common. And, and God took such an offense to it, he killed them with fire. So I think God means business. Amen? Listen, so I think that should tell us we're ever going to really draw close to God. If we're ever going to enjoy the closeness of true friendship, then we got to start with a healthy fear in our hearts. Okay, so this idea, and it, man, it frustrates me so bad, that Jesus is my homeboy, that's, you're crazy. That's no fear. Amen? So listen what Jesus wants from you and what he wants from me. Deuteronomy 5.29. It says, oh, that their hearts, your heart, my heart, oh, that their hearts would be inclined to fear me and keep all my commands always so that it might go well with them and their children forever. So, man, just take notice in that, that the fear of the Lord begins in our hearts first, and secondly, it reveals itself in our actions. So let me say we can backtrack that. If you have actions that are unholy, if you have actions that are irreverent, it's because your heart doesn't fear Him. Amen? So once again, if we fear God in our hearts, man, then, then our actions will be holy. That's what I believe the Aaron's sons missed. All right, so with that said... Uh, is there a way that you and I can somehow measure if we have the fear of God in our hearts or not? Is there a way that you and I can measure if we are truly friends with God or not? The, the Bible is very true that it is, it's yes. In other words, if you can imagine, uh, you know, all of us in here in this room, we more than likely know how to go to our vehicle pop open the hood and to check the oil, right? We unscrew the dipstick, we pull it out. Yeah, it has oil. No, it doesn't have oil, right? This is the dipstick to figure out if you got the fear of God in you or if you're a friend of God or not, okay? Here we go, John 15. Jesus simply said this. We read it earlier. You are my friends. Notice the next two-letter word, if you keep on doing, if you keep on obeying the things which I command you to do. So, Everybody look here. I know it's the broccoli, but it's all right. I really wanted to encourage you today. I thought this was going to be great. So, <laughs> listen, um, here's what I'm asking you to do right here. Do you know if you fear God, do I obey this or not? Listen, does my body line up with the word of God? Does my relationships line up with the word of God? Do my finances, my entertainment, all these things, does it line it with the word of God? That tells you if you're his friend or not. And it tells you if you fear him or not. That's the standard. Amen? Amen. So, listen, if we like it or not, God has reserved his friendship for those who obey him. Fear him and obey him. 
So once again, to the degree, to the measure, is how much we obey the word of God. Amen? Yeah, let me say this. I need to say this. Do y'all realize that what sets us apart from the world isn't what we believe? It isn't the fact that you're sitting in church today. It isn't the fact that you have 15 Bibles at your house. Like, that's, it, what sets you apart isn't that you know Christianese. What, what sets you apart from the world is this, is if the presence of God marks your life or not. That's it. Is the presence, is the touch of God and the hand of God on your life. That is the only thing that separates you. Why? Because, listen, there's plenty of Muslims out there that believe a book just like we do. Jehovah's Witnesses believe a book just like we do. The thing that marks us is, yes, there's a living God, but his presence is on us. Amen? So I, I just think this, man, if you and I want to really unlock the place of intimacy where transformation is found, then we have to understand that it's unlocked through obedience and holy fear. That's the key to the door. Amen? Let me read one last verse. We'll scoot to the third point. Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it, keeping his way, his lifestyle, according to your word. It says, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Jesus, let that be true for us. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured, I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. All right, can I give you all one more? I was going to anyways. We'll be done. All right. So how, how can we grow in our friendship? Number three, it's really simple, but we don't do a great job at all the time. It's called listening to him. Listening to him. To understand that when Jesus said in John 15, when he said, I make you friends, what was the, what was the, what was the byproduct of being his friend? He said, basically, I'm going to tell you all these things that my father told me. Right, and then we have this other promise in Jeremiah 33, 3. We'll throw it up for you. Call to me or draw near to me, and I will answer you, and I will tell you great mighty things which you do not know. Do you all understand that God's got secrets? And, he, and listen, and he wants to tell them to you if you'll be willing to come close. Right, like, listen, there's not a person in this room that doesn't have a secret, right? And, and more than likely... Um, well, let me say this. If you go around blabbing it to everybody, it kind of loses its ability to be secret. So, so what do you do? You, there's, there's maybe, uh, you, you know, like, like these, these two guys right here, really dear friends of, of mine and Jen's. I have told them secrets that no one else knows because I trust them. Literally, no one else knows. So, so to understand that God's the same way is that, is that there's this place. It's like this currency of the kingdom. He goes, man, can I trust that person? And when he finds out he can trust you with the things he tells you, will you obey it? Will you run around blab it? God said this, God said this, God said this. Or, are you, or do you know how to keep what's precious to the Lord precious to you? Right? Like those are the people that God talks to. Am I making sense? So, so I just think this, that, that if we want to be a friend of God, then we need to learn how to listen. Let me, let me show you this verse here, because I think so many of us automatically think, well, if God says something, I'm automatically going to hear it. That's not the case. Y'all listen to this verse. Psalm 95, verse 7. It says, today. What's the next word? Yeah. If. There we go. If you would hear his voice. If you would hear his voice. What does the word if imply? It implies this, that not everyone's going to choose to hear him. 
It implies that if, if you and I actually are going to hear him, then, then it's conditional on quietening our hearts to hear him. Amen? Let, let me give you a quick story to kind of help, help this make sense. I, I feel like the Lord taught me this early on, okay? And I almost missed it. But I feel like the Lord taught me this when, when I was really young in the Lord. If I can kind of give you an idea of what my, what my uh, early years with the Lord are, were like. Okay, so I got saved, right, like 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, right on the cusp right there. And I, and I dove into basically a school of ministry world. I went to a Bible school, okay? And, and so obviously I wasn't married, didn't have kids, didn't have a job. I just had some college courses I had to do, and I had classes I had to attend, and I had homework I had to do, certain stuff to read, and we traveled a whole lot. But I had a lot of free time, okay? And, and so what happened was is I got in this pattern, this habit, is every day I came to the church, as we respected to, 7.30 in the morning, and I prayed for an hour. Sometimes I would show up earlier, but I prayed for an hour. Most days people, because uh, other people's family would send them money, but I was broke, so I was fasting. And, uh, and so they all went and ate, and I would go in the youth room, and I'd pray for another hour. And then that night, guess what? Everybody kind of finally go to bed. This is my favorite time to be with Jesus, is I would go find a field somewhere, and I would just pace in a field, and I could holler and scream, and I could cry, do whatever I want to, and I'd pray for an hour or two with Jesus. So pretty much I had this run for about three years where it wasn't uh, abnormal for me to pray three, four hours a day, okay? Things changed a lot when I got married and had kids, a whole lot, Okay, um, I, but I would say, you know, I, I miss that time with Jesus. So if you're single, use it while you got it. Okay, and, and so what happened was, is I, as I noticed something, like this pattern started happening in my life. And it was this, if I went and I spent time with the Lord, and when I went to go lay in bed, because what happened was, is basically because I was so young in the Lord, I didn't understand some things I'm telling you now, I would do all the talking for an hour. Basically what I did is I repeated what I said at lunch, and I repeated what I said at in the morning, right? And so, anyways, so I would lay there at night, and I finally I would get quiet, and then God would start talking, right? And I found out that, that the times that I didn't uh, write it down, the next morning I forgot what he said. So I tried to get in the habit of when I heard the Lord, I would, I would try to keep like some paper on the side of my nightstand, and so I would write it down, okay? So fast forward, we have, we're about three years into this. And um, I, I finally come to a point where I realize, man, I, I am, God's transitioning me from this ministry. I've been serving it for years, and he's about to send me somewhere else. But I have no clue where he's sending me. And I was pretty comfortable where I was at. Not comfortable in the sense of with God, but just uh, I knew what was happening the next day, right? And so, so then I knew, okay, coming here really soon, I'm leaving this place, and I have no clue where I'm going, and it scared me. Okay, because I, I was young in the Lord. I was learning what transition was like. Now so much those things don't bother me. But, but anyway, so, so I was in that spot, and uh, one night I was like, okay, man, I'm just tired of thinking about it. And, and I went, and I sat down at our kitchen table in our ministry house, and, uh, and I had my art box beside me, and I, and I was drawing. I still remember the picture I was drawing. So I was drawing it, blah, 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 and I finally was like, okay, I, I can't get all this stuff off my mind. I got to go pray. So I just left it on the table, put my shoes on, put my jacket on. It was in December, and I walked outside because we lived on a football field, and I started pacing, and I took about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, wasn't long, but I was like, blue to God. There's everything I need. There's everything I want. I need insurance. I need this money. I need the money. I just started telling God all the, all the things that I would need to survive, 
right? It was, it was a new world for me coming up. And so I, I kind of got all that off my chest, and I went back inside, took on my shoes, took on my jacket, sat back down. I was like, whew, good, got that done. Started drawing again. But I, then I looked over after a few minutes, and I saw this piece of paper kind of like wedged in between a bunch of color pencils. And I was like, what is that? So I reached out, and I pulled it out, and it was shaped basically like this, about that big. And I realized, oh, it's one of those pieces of paper that I jotted on one night and just kind of threw it in the art box, right? Like it got lost in the clutter. I'm not exactly a real clean person. And so, anyways, so, so understand, I just went to God, went blue to him. There it is, God, right? And so I opened up the piece of paper, and here's what the piece of paper said. Obviously, it was something God spoke to me months before that I just threw in the box for God about. But here's what it said on the piece of paper. It said this. It said, the Lord takes his time to listen to you. Why can't you take your time to listen to him? I was like, okay, God. Put on my shoes, put on my jacket, went back outside. And I remember literally standing in the field feeling so embarrassed. But, but I was like, okay, Lord, you got my full attention. What do you want to say? Watch this. And immediately, because I inclined my ear to hear, God spoke to me. And he told me exactly what I was supposed to do in that transition. He told me two sentences, but he gave me counsel of what I was supposed to do. Now, here's what's so amazing. If I could, uh, without taking up too much time, watch this. I obeyed what God said. And in a month and a half, I, was, I moved four states away and uh, never, get this, I, here was the deal. God said that he would basically, that I didn't need to tell anybody I was looking for a job. Okay, like I'm transitioning, don't tell anybody, don't send a resume, don't, don't tell a soul, I'll handle it. There was a little bit different language, but that's what he said. So I get a call from North Carolina, one day I'm just sitting in sanctuary in Louisiana, and I get a call, and they said, uh, uh, Pastor Al Bryce is on the phone for you. Okay. He said, hey, I blah, 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 I want to fly you up. Basically, he heard about me. So I flew up. Long story short, a month and a half later, I'm living in North Carolina, one of the best churches I've ever been a part of, incredible pastor, and my life went, never been the same again. God's changed me so much, worked there for 14 years, okay? Watch this. Here's, here's why I'm saying that second part. is because that's where I met Brian and Leah. Brian was the first person outside of the pastor that I met at that church. How did I get here? Brian used to pastor this church. He's the one that told them about me. So I, what I'm trying to say is this, is, is you and I cannot go, uh, oh, this isn't a big deal. No, no, no. Listen, you need to understand. Now, God can do whatever he wants, but let's just look at it real simple. That there's a chance that I would not be your pastor today if I wouldn't have put my shoes back on, put my jacket on, and went back out there and said, Lord, what do you want to say? Right? Because he used all those things to get me here, right? Now, once again, he may have did it in a different way. I don't know. But you have to understand that this isn't some flippant thing we're talking about. Jesus is our friend, and he wants to talk to us because he's trying to set us up for our future. But if we keep not making time for him and not listening, then there's a good chance we're going to miss it. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to stand before the throne one day knowing I missed it. Amen? So, so let me just simply say this to, to bring it up to the question and then I'll be done, is this, is here's how it really works, okay? And this is why I can't give anybody a formula. When you seek Jesus and you actually have an ear 
to hear him and you have a heart to fear him, then what happens is, is he reveals the things that you're trying to be Lord in, <laughs> where you're being independent. He shows you. I can't show you. Your spouse can't show you as much as they want to be the Holy Ghost for you. God has to show you, okay? And when he shows you, you have the opportunity to simply repent. Find out what the word says. Obey the word, right? So what happens? We seek. He reveals. We obey. Transformation happens. Swing it back over. Repeat the process. Seek him. He reveals. You repent, right? Do what the word says. Repeat. That's the way it's been for me for 26 years. I don't know another way. So I kind of said all of that to say that. <laughs> That's how it happens. If you want to surrender lordship, go hang with Jesus. Amen? Because you get a revelation that he's God and you're not. Okay? Yeah? So, so, so yeah. So if you've been sitting there, If you've been sitting there for a year, two years, three years, four years, five years, like, like if, let me say it this way, put a little heat on you. If I, if I said, okay, all right, man, uh, here's the mic. Get up and tell everybody how Jesus has changed in the last year. If you don't have anything to say in that moment, then you haven't saw his face in the last year. That's truth. I've been doing this for a long time, and man, he keeps peeling the onion. When you think you're good, he brings something else up. So listen, all I'm saying is, is man, if you're comfortable, man, then you're, you're not being transformed anymore. You're not growing to the image of Jesus, and so more than likely, you're not moving closer to your destiny. Amen? Amen? So obviously, everything that I've said today is just your personal choice. Look, this is the heart of God for you. I love this verse. For he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. That's Bible. For he is a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. Jesus, we're asking you today that you would help us have the same passion for you that you have for us. God, we're asking today that you would give us a heart that desires to seek your face. Father, we're so great in this room, me included, is seeking your hand. God, we need to seek your face. God, we need to look you in the eyes, God, and know, God, what you're thinking, to know what you're doing, to know what you're saying. So, Father, we're asking today in Jesus' name, God, that you would give us a heart that would fear you. God, give us a heart that would fear you, that would, that would literally respect you and esteem you and honor you, that would see you as the King of kings, as the Lord of lords, to see you as God Almighty. And Father, we ask lastly, God, that you would give us a heart to hear your voice, to listen, to listen. God, to, to have a heart that would be willing to remove all the clutter so we could just hear you. Father, lastly, I'm just asking for all of us that God, that we would decrease so you could increase. That we would mature. That we would move from faith to faith, glory to glory. That there would be movement in our walk. God, that, that never would we be in a spot where we go, man, I can't tell you what Jesus is doing in my life because I haven't drawn close enough to know what he wants to do. God, that we would never be in that spot. So God, give us a tender heart, a sensitive heart, a heart that longs for you, that desires relationship above all else. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.